You may be seated. About this time each year, it's a custom that I've had for some years of preaching a sermon called Come Before Winter because of the fall. However, today, because we have these wonderful people who have come into our community, I want to postpone that sermon and uh, preach it another Sunday. Uh, today, if you have your Bible or your New Testament, turn to Luke chapter 10. Verse 25 following. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 following. And a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and uh, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him, and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this important reading from his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ had an incredibly marvelous way of teaching. He could take simple pastoral and agricultural scenes 
turn them into a little story that would convey the most profound and deep truths. He could take interpersonal relationships and show from them the great heart of God. In the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, you will have read how the Lord Jesus had come close to the city of Samaria. And the Samaritans were really not willing for him to come there and did not wish him to come in. And James and John were angered at this hostility of the Samaritans. And so they asked Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to consume these people? And Jesus had to rebuke them for what they had said. And then he went on journeying. Let me point out that Samaritans were considered with great contempt by Jews. When Jesus was literally pushed out of the city of Nazareth and almost plunged over a cliff, the disciples did not ask him to call down fire there. But here, upon these Samaritans, James and John at least thought that would be appropriate. It was a terrible thing that they should think this way, and Jesus sternly rebuked them for what they had said. And then after this, Jesus begins to send them out two by two, teaching, and the seventy return, and they begin to explain to him the great things that had happened in their teaching ministry. And Jesus said to them, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see what you see and did not see them, and to hear the things that you hear and did not hear them. But a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test. He wanted to test Jesus. I think he wanted to test him because he thought Jesus was being too kind and too friendly to people that he shouldn't be friendly toward. After all, one of his own apostles had been Matthew, a renegade publican who had worked for the Romans, and this did not set well with the people. And then just before this, there had been that occasion when, the wo when a woman of the street had come into the house of Simon the Pharisee and with her heart broken and great tears falling from her face, had wetted the feet of Jesus with her tears and wiped his feet with the hair of her head and anointed his feet with ointment. And Jesus, to the consternation of his host, and all of the other embarrassed guests said that this woman's sins were forgiven for she loved much and told her to go in peace that her faith had saved her. And I think there must have been some talk amongst the disciples. He's too generous with his kindness. He is showing too much love toward too many people. He ought to be stricter. 
He ought to be more severe. And so the, the, the lawyer thinks he can put him to a test, and he asks him a very important question. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus gives him that tremendous answer from the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, the seat of your affections, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now then, this lawyer, in having this tremendous compilation of part of the law from Deuteronomy and part of it from Leviticus, had caught the whole spirit of the law. But he knew that there were little things there that had to be precisely defined. And so he, willing to justify himself, and you always get in trouble when you try to justify yourself before God unless you go through his grace. So the lawyer said to Jesus, in thinking that he had tricked him, and who is my neighbor? Now that was a tremendous question. It's one of the greatest questions in the Bible and one of the greatest questions in life. When Adam and Eve had sinned and the voice of God came in the cool of the evening and said, Adam, where art thou? They were hiding from the presence of God because they had disobeyed. When Cain, in a rage of jealousy, had murdered his brother Abel and looked into his still, pathetic, dead face, he heard the voice of God calling to him, Where is your brother? And he asked a question of God. Am I my brother's keeper? When Pilate stood before a monstrous crowd clamoring for blood, knowing that Jesus was innocent and wishing to rid himself of the responsibility of making a decision about Jesus, shouted to the crowd the greatest question perhaps of all of life, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And each of us have to face up to questions like this. Where are we in relationship to God? Are we our brother's keeper? What will we do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? If we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, who is our neighbor? And so Jesus will answer the question. He answers the question by telling a story. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. It's important to remember that. 
This is the first group of people. The robbers had no law. And the robbers, by the way, were probably Samaritans. That was a notorious road from Jerusalem to Jericho, infested by bandits, harassed by these people who would come out and take any stranger coming through. And here is a Jew, if you please, who is set upon and robbed and beaten and left in a ditch for half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down the road. And when the priest saw him, and I've often wondered about this poor man who was beaten. If he did not have his eyes completely knocked out or if they were not caked with blood, I'm sure that if he looked up and saw the clerical garb of this priest, his heart must have rejoiced and he must have thought, why, a man of God is coming. I know he'll help me. But don't always be fooled by clerical attire. He passed by on the other side. Now the Pharisees were not priests, and the Pharisees really didn't like priests. And I'm sure that this Pharisee who asked this question of Jesus must have thought, boy, this is a good story. He's really getting the clergy, and I'm glad to hear him say this. And then he thought, I want to hear some more. What else is he going to say? And then he said, likewise a Levite. One who should have even been more responsible. He came. And went to the place where the man was laying. And saw him. He looked at him and passed by on the other side. And the Pharisees said, that's just like those Levites. The Levites and the priests, that's the way they do. We Pharisees are going to be the hero of this story. And what a great shock it was. When, you know, let me digress at this point, this Levite wore distinctive garb. Years ago, I was a student in Scotland for a year and a in three or four months, and I preached all over Scotland. And they told me from the Church of Scotland that it was considered disrespectful if you went into a pulpit without a pulpit gown or if you did not wear a, 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 one of those starched white collars and a black waist stock. And they said, if you preach now, you, should, you, you will have to wear this. And I didn't care much about doing that, but I uh, wanted to preach, so I, I went and bought the thing and tried it on and got it put on. And I'll never forget the first time I walked to the train station in Edinburgh. It seemed like every beggar in Edinburgh spotted me. <laughs> they saw the collar, and they saw the waist up, and they thought, there is a man of God. He'll help me. And they came over. And you know, I had the greatest temptation to look the other way. And that's the way it is. When we don't like people, we don't want to see them, do we? We don't answer the door. We go out the other door of the church. We walk around the building because we don't want to see them. Now, you may not be that way, 
you are. But, <laughs> but that's the way human nature is. And when we say this about human nature, we're really saying uh, that human nature needs to be redeemed. Uh, we never say it's human nature to do anything good. It's always human nature to do something spiteful and hateful. And we don't like people because they're a different color. Or we don't like people because they're foreigners. Or we don't like people because they're not in our social set. You remember, just before this, when these 70 came back, they said, Master, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name, and we told him to stop it. He doesn't even read our church magazine. He doesn't belong to our denomination. We said, stop it. And Jesus said, you stop it. That's no way to do. He that is not against me is for me. And so he was always correcting these terribly horrible attitudes that would manifest this type of spirit that was contrary to what Jesus was teaching. Well, the Levite passes by on the other side. Now, when Jesus said the word Samaritan, if you had been present, it would be like Yasser Arafat's addressing the Knesset in Jerusalem. When he said Samaritan, ooh, they hated Samaritans. And that Pharisee who thought surely that a Pharisee was going to be the hero of his story thought, oh no, Samaritans. This is terrible. A certain Samaritan was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A certain Samaritan was on a journey and he came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. The others didn't. But this Samaritan felt compassion. And he came to him. That's interesting. He came to him. Have you ever thought how many times Jesus comes? He came to him. He came to him. The man didn't call out to him and say, Hey, Samaritan. Come here and help me. But the Samaritan took the initiative and he went to him. Love is a verb. And it extends out and goes too. He came to him and bandaged up his wounds. I don't think he had a first aid kid tied on his saddlebags on his donkey. He probably had to tear up part of his clothes to bandage up the wounds. He had poured in oil and wine, which were the only things that he had to perhaps be antiseptic and the oil to soften the harshness of the wound. And then he put the man on his own beast and went hobbling along beside him till they got to an inn. And he didn't walk in and flip his master charge on the counter and say, put this guy's bill on my charge card and we'll see you. This man took him into the inn and took care of him. This always gets me under conviction because I'm always so busy. 
we got a schedule to meet or things that we have to do. Now here the schedule is blown. The planned activities are taken away because he's going to have to spend some time, probably the whole night with that man, taking care of him the rest of the day and the whole night. It takes some time. There's one little passing comment that should always be pointed out here. The word Samaritan was a word of utter contempt until it's used in this story that Jesus told. And now then it is synonymous with what is good. The Good Samaritan Hospital. We've even had to enact what we call the Good Samaritan Laws to protect doctors who stop to assist people in an accident because sometimes the people they assist sue them for malpractice. And so the legislators have to protect them. Well, he stops here and takes care of him. I think he would have thought this is going to ruin my day. I can't do everything I'd planned to do today. And besides that, it may be a trap. That's probably what I've thought. I'm a little paranoid. You know, I would have thought maybe that guy's got ketchup on him and there's somebody up there in the rocks hiding. It's a trick, some kind of trick, and they'll get me. I'll go on back home and I'll notify the authorities. But no, this man took a risk. And you have to take a risk sometimes. Love is always taking risks. The next day he took out two denarii. That's, I don't know what, 80 cents or something. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. What does this tell me? You know that innkeeper must have been dumbfounded. He said, Man, I've been running motels on this road for a long time. This is the first time I ever saw any Samaritan pick up a Jew and bring him in here and take care of him. This guy's got to be honest. <laughs> I know he'll pay. Take care of him, and whatever you spend, he said, I will repay you. When I return, I will repay you. These are some of the characteristics that are shown of love. And then Jesus puts a question back to the man who had questioned him and said, now which of these two do you think proved to be neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Oh, that lawyer wished he had never asked that question <laughs> because he got the stinger here. He was stung. He had to admit it. The one who showed mercy toward him. And he was trapped. Jesus said, go and do the same. And so when we want a precise definition of who we are to help, we are to help anyone who is in need. Now, people are only my brothers and sisters in Christ when they are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they are always to be the objects of my love because they are also the objects of God's love too. 
And he is extending his love to them through us. This past week, we have seen a number of things that bring this very close to home. I never thought I'd ever be quoting the Pope from the pulpit. <laughs> but I am forced to quote the Pope. And with joy. Pope John Paul is really something else. That speech he made in Madison Square Garden the other day was tremendous. Do you remember what he said to those young people? I've got it right here in front of me. Faced with problems and disappointments, many people will try to escape from their responsibility. Escape in selfishness. Escape in sexual pleasure. Escape in drugs. Escape in violence. Escape in indifference and cynical attitudes. But today, I propose to you the option of love which is the opposite of escape. Whatever you make of your life, let it be something that reflects the love of Christ. Whatever you do, remember that Christ is calling you in one way or another to the service of love, the love of God, and the love of your neighbor. And then in that broken English which made it more attractive, I heard him say it and saw him on television myself. He said, my dear young people, you are active. You know that action speaks louder than words. Remember, Jesus Christ must be Lord every day of your life. You can't beat that. That's good. Southern Baptist will say amen to that. <laughs> that was a tremendous thing. Uh, that was a wonderful thing to say. Now you see what he's doing? Action speaks louder than words. This is what Jesus is saying here. You go do the same. And the reason that he's saying that is that all too often, you know we say that we worship God in spirit and in truth when we're only going through the motions or caressing certain emotions. We can imagine that we have thankful hearts when we are only pleased with the weather. We can put on the airs of humility and inwardly be as proud as peacocks. We can work up a warm, tender, expansive feeling that doesn't produce any consistent or sustained activity and call that love. But it's a little harder to deceive both our neighbors and ourselves when it comes to service. Because here, we are more immediately and more frequently subjected to practical tests. We are confronted with too many situations that bluntly ask us, well, what are you going to do? How much are you willing to give? And although none of us is deficient in excuse-making, a thin excuse never quite conceals our nakedness. In fact, nothing more clearly reveals the poverty of our dedication than the chief excuses we make for ourselves. 
they fairly shout forth our insincerity, our indifference, our laziness, and the hypocrisy of what we call love. This week, here in this chapel, we saw an incredible woman, Lillian Dixon, who has been written up in the Reader's Digest and who has founded over 200 homes and schools for people who suffer in the island of Formosa and in New Guinea and in difficult and hard places of here. She had to stand on a thing in back of this pulpit so that people could see her. A short, chunky woman, not a person of any facial beauty, not a person with an eloquent, glowing voice, but when she told us the plight of the boat people who had tried to escape from the ravages in Southeast Asia, I was sitting right here, and I was watching her. And when she told us how over 200,000 of these people have already drowned at sea, and the ghastly stories of so many millions others that are suffering. And someone had told her that to try to help them was like trying to empty the ocean with a bucket. And she said, that may be so, but I must, for Christ's sake, go and get my bucket full. And when she spoke, she told of two people who in a sea disaster had life-saving boats and went out where people were drowning. One of them left the scene of the drowning people and saw them sinking because he was afraid they would capsize his boat. And the other skipper of a little boat took every single person he could get on board until it was quite evident that no one else could come on board and got them safety to safety. And when they had a hearing about what had taken place, they asked the one skipper why he left early. And he said he, he left early because he was afraid that the boat would capsize even though it wasn't full. And when they spoke to the other seamen, he broke into tears and said, Oh God, why couldn't I have had a bigger boat? He wanted a bigger boat, and when Lillian Dixon said that, I saw tears falling down her face right here. And that night, when we saw the film, The Mustard Seed, I was, had chill bumps come on me because I heard the voice of Bob Pierce, whom I knew and met in the three trips that I made to Vietnam and Thailand. Bob Pierce died just about a year ago. And I didn't know he'd narrated that film, and when he, I heard his voice, it really got, got to me. Richard Halverson at the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Washington wrote a letter, and I have it here on the pulpit, after Bob had died. And this is what he said. Bob Pierce was preeminently a, an evangelist burden for the lostness of people. 
His preaching turned thousands to Christ and thousands more to the mission field, the pastorate, and evangelism. But he let his heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. He lived by a very practical and significant rule. I cannot do everything for everybody, but I can do something for somebody. And what I can do, I must do. And that was the beginning of Bob Pierce's from the time he took a little orphan girl in 1947 to the place where his organization, which he founded, World Vision, now cares for more than 160,000 children. And it's something that you can remember from this lesson this day. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I will do. This is Newsweek magazine. These are Cambodian refugees this week. If you saw the television, you saw those people starving. Your hearts couldn't help but be moved. And what we can do, we must do. Because the love of Jesus Christ constrains us. We can't turn our head the other way. We can't pass by on the other side. Jesus said, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Do you see that? That means that we have to see those who are in need, and we need to go to them. Now, this does not teach us that salvation is by works. Salvation can only be by the grace of God. None of us has ever done enough. Not the labors of my hands could fulfill thy law's demands. Could my grief no respite? No, could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. The question the man asked was not what must I do to be saved, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus told him. And we are told too. And so we have our work cut out for us. And that work is work which we are meant to do. Oh God, our Father, help us from the inspiration which we have seen from Holy Scripture, from the examples of incredible people who have done so much because they took so seriously what Jesus said, to be willing to do what we ought to do for him. For those who have not yet known him as Savior, we pray that you will cause them to go outside in some quiet place this day and give as much of themselves as they know how to give to as much of Jesus as they understand and to begin to grow in that grace and to assume that responsibility. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our teacher be and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen.